This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back, Geek Gab for Saturday, September 5th, 2020. I'm sorry, I'm taking a deep breath. Just taking a deep sigh to summon up some energy now that we've gotten over that week of 2020. Uh, so, you know, uh, hey, Dornall, how was your week? It's been all right. What can I say? I'm still hanging out in the Pacific Northwest. We're in September now. Uh, weather's going to get a little cooler. That's that's only partially reason for the title. And uh, I, I binged, unfortunately, I binged on a great series of videos on YouTube. Have you ever heard of the unbiased history of Rome? I may have passed it by, but I don't think I've watched it. Great. This is actually new. Uh, someone made it this this year. It's a, sort of a cartoon series that goes over the high points in the history of Rome. And he's up to, let's see, I think he's up to the just after Constantine. And... Let me tell you about this. It's hilarious. Well, it's hilarious to anybody who's, who spends too much time online. So Constantine, who built Istanbul, Not and then the Turks invaded it and renamed it Constantinople. You might have that backwards, but yeah. <laughs> My Roman history might be wrong there. <laughs> um, so it's it's... It's fun videos anywhere from like six minutes to 30 minutes. And they, they each go over a certain chapter in Roman history. And it's, it's, it's not more than you've learned in high school, right? When you, when you learned Roman history, uh, but he does it with illustrations and cartoons using memes and, and it's hilarious. Here's the conceit from the, from the beginning of the show, all the, the Trojans and the patricians of Rome, are depicted as Chad in the Virgin versus Chad meme. <laughs> and all the plebeians are the virgins from the Virgin and Chad meme. And uh, outsiders, all, anywhere from the, the Latins to the barbarians, the Germans and everything like that, they're all different meme faces. There's a bunch of Wojaks the the Wojak meme. I don't know if you know that one. Um, the you know they had they had uh, who was it the like the Gauls showed up and they used like the caveman memes for the Gauls and oh my goodness, uh, it's really funny the way it's presented uh, and the the narrator is fun and 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 the episodes are fast and this isn't this isn't a good way to learn about it but it's a really funny way to refresh yourself on on the history but as you can tell by the meme selection it's a uh, it's kind of a parody that the can the uh it's from the point of view of the romans and the the narrator and the story is told as if the roman patricians were the greatest things ever you know the the uh, the Roman gods were responsible for you know every all this greatness, and everybody else in the world is terrible. <laughs> no, nobody else besides the Roman patricians is put in a good light. 
and they play up all the you know stories and stereotypes of of different parts of the world uh and everything um you know complete with starting off with talking about the greeks versus the trojans and the greeks are basically you know poo flinging monkeys um so he even has a disclaimer at the beginning of this hey <laughs> this is parody uh we're not we're not dog whistling or anything like this. It's just it's just for fun. So if if you take it in that from that perspective, like okay, this is obviously just a pro Rome guy who who's talking about this history and it's it's obvious propaganda. It's so funny. Dog whistling what? That the Romans don't exist anymore. There are none of them left. Oh yeah, but um. The worst, I want to say the worst portrayal in the in the um, series so far is the Germans. He, he when he's talking about the Germanic tribes, he repeatedly calls them germs, and he and he uses wojacks that are like devil wojacks, red eyes, pointed ears. Some of them have horns, that sort of thing, you know, because all they ever did to the Roman Empire was sack and pillage and and whatnot. So, yeah. You can, I can imagine how some uptight person might be, be upset by that, but uh, it's all in good fun. Sounds interesting. And what's it called? Unbiased History. The The YouTube maker is named Dova Hattie, and I'm not going to spell that, but uh, I can add a link to it later. You can find right. it on YouTube for now. I mean, it's possible by the time you listen to this that it's been stricken from YouTube. <laughs> But it's, it's everything great. Gets taken down from YouTube. Oh, one other thing, you know, just in case uh, folks here haven't aren't convinced yet, after a couple of episodes, he starts doing special introductions to the show that mimic anime and openings with all the major characters in it. I I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but. I laughed. <laughs> um, speaking of things getting taken down for no reason, mm. do you know what happened to Joe Rogan? No. The, wait, he's the most popular podcaster ever. Ever. Yeah. Uh, he's got an audience of, of umpteen millions, millions of people, multiple millions of, of listeners. So he jumped ship from... YouTube, who kept on censoring him, to Spotify to make bigger money and hopefully not get censored. So guess what happened? Um, I'm guessing Spotify went and censored him. This week, they took down 50, 50 of his most controversial episodes. Wow. Yanked them down in one day. <clears throat> chop, chop, chop. So uh, I don't, I don't know if he's gonna bend the knee there or what's gonna happen. But boom, <laughs> they they went through and chopped that, chopped that down. So sorry, Joe. That stuff's got to go. I hope he's got the resources and clout to undo that or, or find another platform that works. Um, um, Cause I, I hate to think these, 
places like YouTube and Spotify are they're getting a little too big for their britches. Yeah. I hate to think they're going to win. These uh, left-wing ran uh, colluding, because that's what they do. They're actually forming, you know, a cabal where they just decide who or what gets taken down and that everybody does it at the same time. Or everybody does the same thing. And that's just not kosher. Uh, it's it's not something we would tolerate from our government. So why should we tolerate it from a bunch of tech companies in Silicon Valley? Yep. And you've got... There was a site that was like... GoFundMe, um, and Discover just kicked them off. Discover will no longer process payments for that site um, because they were accepting payments for a cause Discover decided was odious. You know, wow. Discover politically censored this site. Uh, and people say, well, you just need to create your own payment processor. And they did. They have. And everybody in the financial system colluded to shut it down. We're way, way beyond you just need to create your own whatever. Everybody's shutting it down. So we can move on past that, though. Let's have fun. How was your week? Um. <laughs> Was that was that the wrong setup? No, no, that was cool. Did I'm I not set you up for fun? I'm I'm in a point in my life where I have to drink water pretty much constantly, and I don't know what it is about this house I'm living in, but every single faucet in this house is absolutely prepared to dispense super cooled water at the drop of a hat. Super cold water, that's that stuff where it's colder than ice, but it still remains liquid. So if you pour a bunch of it in a, in a container and drop any kind of particle in it, it'll instantly become ice. It won't freeze because it's already frozen. It's just in a liquid state. It'll instantly crystallize into ice. So every faucet in this house dispenses super-cooled water in an instant. I can be in the shower taking an, a scalding hot shower that's literally beating layers of skin off until the water is pounding down on bare muscle. And as soon as somebody else in the house turns the faucet to barely warm in order to wash their hands, boom, super cold water, <laughs> and I'm standing there in a pillar of ice. Every faucet in this damn house does it, except <laughs> the faucet in the kitchen where I get the water that I drink. That faucet, if you have so much turned on, the slightest tinge of warmth, the entire morning, the cold water 
will stay lukewarm for the rest of the day. I am not joking. You cannot get that faucet to dispense anything below kind of sort of coolish. That's bizarre. It is bizarre. And my working theory is that the cold and hot water pipes are close together. And so when hot water has been running through it, because, you know, you never actually change the temperature of the pipes. You just change the mixture of hot and cold that comes out at the end. And that's what makes it hot and cold for you. My theory is that the cold and hot water pipes run together. And so the cold water pipe just gets hot or the cold water pipe passes by like the furnace at a weird place, something, something like that. Cause the guy who was in this house before me, uh, was a do it yourselfer. And he did a lot of weird things himself. Ooh. It sounds like he forgot to insulate the hot water pipes. Yeah, he, that may be it. So anyway, <laughs> I finally got sick of it. I finally got sick of having to drink warm water 24-7. So I've started putting, instead of drinking from the faucet, <laughs> you know, filling up my mug from the faucet, I've started putting water bottles in the fridge so that when I go to get a drink, I just pour a cold water bottle from the fridge and dump it in my mug so I actually have a semblance of cool water. <laughs> I can dump cold water in my mug. So that's what I'm sipping from today. Actual cold water, like for the first show ever in like three years. Ah, uh, that sure beats lukewarm water. Damn straight. <laughs> <laughs> so it'd be great to have drink that super cooled water. Would it crystallize in your throat on the way down? There's no tap in this house that I can get drinkable, super cooled water from. <laughs> I know. I've thought about it. There isn't one. The struggle is real. That. <laughs> that, that, that solution had occurred to me years ago. <laughs> Don't you think I would have gone to that first? <laughs> I'm no dummy. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm just going to have to keep myself well supplied with bottled water and, and refrigerate this. Keep Just keep putting bottled water in my fridge and keep pulling it out. So, Sounds yeah, like I just want to let you folks know that this is how my week is gone. I've been enjoying cool water for the first time in years. That's how my week's gone. That's why I laughed when you asked me that question. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like a relief. Ah, oh, yes. My tonsils, even as we speak, are dancing little circles of joy and singing in the back of my throat. <laughs> <laughs> They're singing arias. Ave Maria. You know, they're having a hoedown back there. So, uh... As for what else went on this week, uh, I saw the stuff we're going to talk about on the show. I video game the stuff we're going to talk about on the show. We played Traveler last night, of course. Classic Traveler. A lot of fun. Cl Classic Traveler. We're having a heck of a lot of fun with this system. And uh, 
we're ha we had a heck of a lot of fun with the uh, scenario we played through. <laughs> I had to break down in the middle of the session and buy a copy of the Classic Traveler Compendium PDF. <laughs> Spent $20 right in the middle of the game. <laughs> hey, I've played a lot of games where I didn't know anything and I didn't care to know, and I let the game master handle all that stuff for me. And uh, that didn't work in this case. Uh, yeah, th th there's so many weird tables and, and weird rules and everything like that. It's just easier to have your copy. Well, specifically for me, I was trying to do some shopping. Oh, and yeah. Just on roll 20 with, you know, four-on-one communication where you can't borrow the game book from, a, you can't say, here, pass me the player's handbook uh, over the, you know, pizza box. <laughs> Uh, you just have to have a copy of your PDF. Um, and for whatever reason, we tried to pass just those couple of pages over, just a couple of shopping pages. But uh, when I downloaded them, I tried downloading them three different ways, and they were just messed up. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, I mean, it was from Windows to OS X, but I bought the same things. The same exact source. They came through fine. So whatever glitch in the internet somewhere that that munged those uh, those couple of pages on PDF, uh, you know, congrats, you got twenty bucks from me. So I could buy the prices and equipment charts. <laughs> but yeah, we had fun. Had a lot of fun. Uh, Jack R on the chat's got a great idea. Use Google Sheets for per purchases. Do you do you mean to upload the sheets? Upload the files themselves? Anyway. It was fun. Um I just there was a little thing I wanted to talk about with respect to Traveler and with respect to um, rationalizing random die rolls. So, my character, and I know those words are dread, but your character is all random, not only in the attributes you get, but also in the skills and stuff. Now, you have sway over the random skills. That is, you can pick which service you go into. There's Army, Navy, Marines, the Scout Service. There's Merchant Marines. Um, and there's probably a couple I'm missing, and I apologize for that. And that will determine, like, the general areas that you have a chance of influencing. And then within those areas, you have, uh, a, like, three or, no, four uh, smaller things you can focus on that you get to choose. But within those, you know, you have a D6 and those six things are completely random. Uh, so you have to take the results of these random dice rolls and to, cre to explain your character, you have to rationalize them. 
you come up with a story to explain your character. So here is one story. Our friend uh, rolled up a character who got too low combat uh, skills and then got, you know, a moderate computer skill, eight years of computer training. And he was trying to come up with a background. What would make sense in his, you know, in the events? So the thing I suggested and that we kind of turned into a joke, we were laughing about it, but he decided to take on board and adopt it is that, yeah, he got combat trained um, in his first term and then they made him a supply clerk. That's where he got his computer skills because he's using the computers to manage inventory and stuff. Um, so he was trained, but he never saw combat. <laughs> <laughs> and being his supply clerk, the first job he got mustering out of the military was, and we all did, this is our first, you know, our first adventure together, our first whatever, was distinctly criminal. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, uh, being distinctly criminal, my character did not ever expect to go into a, a criminal-oriented job. And that's what I said at one point during the adventure last night, is this is not at all what I expected to go into after... Uh, after my military career and the supply clerk says, you know, this is funny. This is exactly what I saw myself going into after my military career. <laughs> and I was like, well, of course you're a supply clerk. Thieving just comes naturally for you. Um, so we interpreted his dice rolls in a way that informed not only what happened with the die rolls, but kind of his outlook as a player and, and thus his character's outlook. And that's a good skill to have as a game master, as a player. If you're going to play these old school games like AD&D, you can take it and you can extrapolate character attributes uh, and just explain why you are uh, who you are. So Let's go to my character. My character has dead average intelligence. He had a two social standing. Now, one is the lowest you can have normally. Um, so in my mind, and I looked, I looked last night to find if there was a grand unified chart of social standings. In classic traveler that could tell you, well, a zero is this, and a one is this, and a two is this. I couldn't find one. They only have some spotty ones for, you know, 11 or above, which is royalty. So I figured a zero is homeless. You're a bum on the street. You don't work. You don't want to work. You're just the layabout. You beg for food, and you wander around, stuff like that. And a one is... Basically, hillbillies. You're an isolated subculture of very, very clannish, uh, you know, cloistered people who have their own dialect that is pretty much impenetrable 
to outsiders and people look upon you as weird and you're really, really poor. Um, and usually you're uh, dependent on outsiders for, for help. And two is basically a, a slice above that where you've got some outside industry that comes in and you work in that outside industry. So we're thinking coal miners like from Harlan, Kentucky, uh, or people who uh, oil miners who live like hillbillies, but go and work at the oil fields and come back. Oil miners, sorry. <laughs> um, so my character was a two. He comes from basically a Harlan, Kentucky thing. He's dirt poor. His family's been dirt poor for generations, and everybody looks down on them. He's got an intelligence of seven, which is dead average. But at the end of all his terms, he had an education of 12. And after every single term, no matter how well he did, he got kicked out of his service. Every single one kicked out. He was in the scouts for a term, got kicked out. He was in the army for a term, got kicked out. Even though he got two promotions that term to a captain, got kicked out. He was in the Marines for a term, got kicked out. He went back into the scouts, barely got in, and got kicked out, was going to retire anyway. So let's put all these together. He's a dirt poor nobody. He works really, really hard and does really, really well in all of these terms and gets kicked out. I surmise because he's a dirt poor nobody. Everybody hears that backwoods accent on him. Everybody sees his kind of uncouth ways. Everybody knows he's, he's okay, but he's not real bright. He follows orders. And in battle, he's surprisingly innovative. He's a decent leader. He's got a strong force of will, and he's brave, so he can lead men in combat. But he's crap at all the other things a leader's supposed to do. And whether he does well or poorly, the officer corps manages to get him kicked out. Because he's not. He just doesn't fit in with them socially. He doesn't have the graces. He doesn't have the appearance. He just doesn't fit in with a society like that. So they arrange for him, even when he gets up to a battlefield promotion of captain. I mean, to go from, you know, an NCO to a captain in less than four years, you've done pretty well for yourself on the battlefield. But they kick him out. And here's the other thing. He nevertheless, during all of the 12 years of his service, he takes every single correspondence course he can. He learns and learns and learns, and he has some natural ability to remember all these things. Because by the end, he didn't start off with an education of 12. I just kept on rolling that and rolling that. So I figured he had to have been learning. And he had to have been working and working and working. By the end, he had 
force-fed himself so much knowledge, he is at the human maximum for education. He is the, you know, cream of the crop in the galaxy of an educated person. He is the most, he is among the most educated people in the galaxy. And he did that all by brute force, by in between every single op he's reading, on every single op he's reading, and he's taking tests and taking classes and taking tests constantly. And even though he's not super smart, he finally, finally, at the end of his uh, army term, he finally homes off that accent. So he's not talking about that accent. He got an improvement to social class three. So he's just a little bit better than he was. And he is so much more educated than he was. So I kept on rolling that plus two or plus one education. And he's bettered himself just a little bit. So what I've put together is his personality, interpreting all those die rolls and all of that stuff. I'm not, I don't, I don't want to obsess talking about this character. I'm not talking about how clever I am or how smart I am. I'm trying to illustrate how you can take all these die rolls, all these circumstances, getting kicked out after every turn, getting education added every turn, low social class that improves one point, and trying to create a story that makes it all make sense. How do you fit all these things together? But he improved himself educationally. He managed to eradicate that uh, hillbilly accent. And he's finally made a little bit of something of himself. So we had a mission, our first mission, which was last week. He had to go talk to a bunch of guards. And in order to convince them that he was an exterminator, he slipped into this hillbilly accent. And he just went off on a riff about how he was there to kill things. And of course, he was there to shoot varmints. Why else would he have a gun? And he was supposed to be there. And I'm doing it in this big, thick hillbilly accent. And everybody's listening in on the communicators where they're quietly trying to do something else and not get caught. And I come back and one of the, uh, uh, one of the other characters says, well, that was a great hillbilly accent. And my character just didn't say anything. But in the back of his mind... And none of the other players know this until now when, you know, John's sitting here. In the back of his mind, he's thinking, that's not a fake hillbilly accent. That's how I really talk. But that's not how he really talks anymore because he learned. He learned that little bit of polish to go from social class two to social class three. He learned. He's not a hillbilly anymore. So that's who the character is. And then this week, this week, he bought a fancy, fancy, what would be like a ten dollars or $15,000 watch. And this rich patron who just hired us, he's having him tailor. Uh, he's paying for it because we got money. We got money now. He's got money. He's tailoring the nicest suit that he can buy so that when we go into social situations, he can look like he's money. His manners may not be all that yet, but he can look like he's money he's trying to better himself. That's his goal. Not just to make money, but to better himself. So that's how all that plays into how I'm playing the character. So die rolls, random die rolls, take them, take them together, look at how they mean, how they fit together, and uh, 
Yeah. It's a ton of fun to play that way. I think I think about all the times, especially when I was first introduced to gaming, that I thought, oh, these tables are dumb. Like, why random monsters? They're just a waste of time. I want to tell a great story. And But going the other way is it's creative. It, it flexes your imagination. It's fun. It's fun to say, okay, I got this result. What could it mean? Yeah, and this, I, I really am not trying to talk about this character. Um, I'm not talking about this in order to talk about this character. I'm talking about this for random wandering monster checks. Like, why does this random, why does this random monster check come up with this result in this place? You can come up with a reason for it. One of the tables I love the most in all of gaming is in the Oriental Adventures book, the original first edition Oriental Adventures book, where they have the yearly, uh, I think monthly, whatever events. You can come up with so many great stories for why those things are happening. I would love to adapt those to other, like AD&D or whatever. Um, they're just awesome. And you can have so many reasons why those things are happening that have an effect on the campaign. Like, Random die charts for events uh, can give you so many ideas for what's going on and why that you can uh, that you can do. It is amazing uh, how you can adapt them and how they can provide a springboard for creativity that you would never have done. I would never have created this character in a million years. Right. Ever. If I was point buying, I would not have created uh, average intelligence character. Never, not ever. Yeah, you'd you'd min max it. You'd say, well, either either he's a, a moron because I need all these points elsewhere, or you'd say he's a genius because you know they, I want to leverage that stat. So, all right, let's jump real quick. It's just a jump to the left. Did, did you get that one? Did you get that I reference? Did. I love okay, it. Okay, fantastic. Really good song. <laughs> um, Would you like to talk about the wonderful media you've consumed in the past couple of weeks? Yeah, yeah. Let's start with Control. Control, uh, control is Remedy's newest game. Uh, Remedy made Alan Wake back in the day, and they've spent seven years making Control, which came out a year ago. Um, and uh, Control is... <laughs> what is it? The Me and Thomas, right before the game last night, were talking about this. SCP... Secure, contain, protect. Is that right? The SCP Wiki? I have no idea. You've never heard of the SCP Wiki? Never. Really? You are on the internet, right? I suppose I don't spend enough time on the internet. Okay. I was too busy watching meme videos. The SCP Wiki is about a government agency 
that locates and um, contains uh, a huge variety of monsters, supernatural monsters, or though paranatural might be a better word, uh, that have threatened our Earth uh, from for all kinds of reasons. And it's a wiki because individual people can contribute their own monster ideas. It's not being created by a central person. Um, and so you'll have a monster description, you'll have what their threat level is, and so on and so forth. It's actually really interesting. I haven't read a whole lot of it, but it's pretty cool. So control is Remedy's kind of uh, homage to the SCP Foundation, it, except other th instead of being monsters, primarily organic creatures or whatever, um, it uh, theirs deal with events and objects primarily. Um, and at the beginning of the game control, um, a series of really horrendous events has happened and your character gets promoted to the head of the bureau. Um, and you have to go through developing all these funky psychic powers well, we would call them psychic powers. They're not necessarily psychic in origin. And uh, trying to bring it all back under control. So it was released a year ago. It did not do very well. But it, uh, the fans of it who played it really, really love it. And uh, it was highly critically praised. But don't hold that against it. It's actually a, it is a really good game. And we reviewed it on the show shortly after I finished it, which was so, it was just a little while after it came out. Because we're not big enough and important enough to get free discs sent to us. Um, and they've had a, two pieces of DLC. I might have talked about one of the pieces of DLC, but I don't think so. Uh, the second piece of DLC... Um, harbors back to Alan Wake, and so you're thinking that it's going to be um, have big tie-ins to Alan Wake, and maybe even he'll show up and get rescued and stuff. What it turns out is it's more control. So it's a, a another slice of control, which is what you want if you want, you know, DLC for control. Um, you get a new form for your gun, you get more monsters, you get more side quests and things like that, more uh, more collectibles to find and so on and so forth. And in the end, you get a big old teaser for an Alan Wake sequel that is apparently coming out next year. Uh, it was well worth playing. I had a lot of fun playing it. The, the boss fights are as obnoxiously tough as they always are. Um, I, 
this is going to sound this is going to sound like it's a knock it is kind of it is just more control it is more control but it is just more control if you understand what i'm saying no innovations no new tricks or tips just hey you did you like playing this game here's some more of it yes I can respect that. Give the people what they want. Whether it's good or bad, that's what it is. Um, and I enjoyed it. I'm, uh, I mean, I'm not putting it down for that. I enjoyed it. So I'm not saying they did something wrong, but I wish they had done a little bit more. Because the villain in Alan Wake was the darkness. Um, and uh, those of you who played Alan Wake, you'll remember you used your flashlight to um, shine it on the darkness in order to uh, get rid of it so it'll come and attack you. And they have that same mechanic here because the darkness has begun to infest uh, the oldest house, uh, which is the setting of control. And I just wish they had done more with that. Because if you're going to have the darkness invading the oldest house, you should do more with that. Instead of just having all the same villains from Control, you should have things that are like they were from Alan Wake or infused with some of the stuff from Alan Wake so you can get, because it's there. The dark from Alan Wake's there, so some of the monsters from Alan Wake should be there or monsters that are infused somewhat with the flavor of Alan Wake should be there. It shouldn't just be a, um, you know, darkness on the wall kind of can't remember the word I'm trying to use here. It shouldn't just be tinsel on the wall <laughs> decorations that you get every now and then. It, it should be a mechanic. I mean, they did a great job with the ambience, with throwing up dark places and making you feel like things were in the dark. You hear little voices and stuff, and I was kind of nervous for a while because, you know, I'm waiting for the stuff in the dark to start doing bad stuff like they did in Alan Wake, but it, I was disappointed on that front. Hmm. Um. In other words, it's not just that they didn't do any new stuff. It's that they set up ambience, music, voices to make you think they were going to do new stuff because that's what the theme of the whole DLC was about. But they didn't do that. And it was disappointing. If you're going to make it seem like you're going to do something then you need to do something. It's like introducing a new DLC for a game that's all about Christmas, and you have Christmas decorations on the walls, and you have uh, Jingle Bell things playing over the sound speakers, but there's no Christmassy enemies. It's just the same old enemies you've been getting since the a year ago. If you're hmm. playing a zombie game... And you've got Christmas decorations all around. All of a sudden, this is a new DLC. 
you have Christmas decorations all around and, and you know, you're making it all Christmassy and stuff. You need Christmassy zombies too. Maybe not everything, just once in a while, that's fine. But once in a while, you need Christmassy zombies because that's the DLC. Well, I can see why you'd be dis disappointed in that. So, I'm, it's not a huge disappointment. Like I said, I, I had fun with it. I really did enjoy it. But they led you to believe that something was going to happen that never happened. One giant cock tease. Also, Otty uh, asks you to do some more janitorial duties. And, uh, and a couple of them are actually pretty fun. If you, every mission you get, do it as you're going through the main missions. Don't put them off till the end. Do it as you're going through with the main missions. You will walk through all those areas at the same time. Do it as you're doing that. Because there's some areas that are bugged that you're going to get hyper respawns of some really obnoxious enemies. And you don't want that. <laughs> yeah, other than that, it was okay. Sounds good. I'll have to check this out. I, I looked at the SCP wiki while you were talking. I think you've showed this to me before on the show. I just never spent much time on it. And it looks like time is all that you spend on this site. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. Uh, moving on. Moving on. Um, let's talk about Red Dwarf. Uh, that, that show's so old. Why are we talking about it? Because it's still being made. Are you kidding? I'm, I'm just playing. I, I recall that they're still making it, but man, they're they're using the same actors. What what have they made recently? Uh, in April, season thirteen just got released uh, on Dave TV, which uh, is part of that weird psychotic, you know, whatever they're doing in Great Britain thing with TV, where it's kind of kind of supposed to be government produced but there's still some kind of satellite private tv something i don't know it's the uk so uh season 13 is actually just one movie uh it's an hour and 27 minutes long um and season 12 which i think i talked about on the show um was more or less a big disappointment to me. And I will say that season 13 is not a big disappointment to me. Actually, season 13 is quite possibly the least disappointing season <laughs> um, since possibly back as far as season... I want to say eight or seven, man. So like in literally in more than a decade. 
so the well, beginning that's a lot more than I've seen. I I've I gotta say I checked I checked out during season three. I it they lost me early on. <laughs> I watch Red Dwarf in a regularly. Or I should say I rewatch Red Dwarf regularly. Um although it has been a long time before they started I found out they had started releasing Dave ones and I had to get real caught up. The <laughs> last time, literally the last time I had watched Red Dwarf was somewhere around two thousand, I think. <laughs> All of a sudden, 20 years later, I found out they had released like three more seasons, and I'm like, huh? what? <laughs> when did that happen? And so I went running off to re get caught up, and that's when this stuff happened. So um, this season is called The Promised Land. Early, early, in like the second or third episode of the first season, we find out that there was an entire civilization of cat people descended from Lister's pet cat, who he brought on board and was pregnant and gave birth. And while he went into stasis, he was in stasis for 3 million years. And in that 3 million years, they developed an entire species of intelligent humanoid cats, of which at the time, one of two of them had survived, one of whom dies in that episode, leaving behind the cat, who became a regular member of the cast. Um, this, but they did find out that everybody else had jumped on spaceships and flown off. They were thought to have perished. This show, called The Promised Land, reveals that they have not in fact perished, but are in fact on five spaceships which have been taken over by the feral cat king and his henchmen, and <laughs> they are on the verge of eradicating the worship of Cloister the Stupid, who is their god, who uh, created the virgin birth that gave birth to their race three million years ago. And I will say at the beginning, for the very beginning introduction with the cat species, it just wasn't funny. I wasn't enjoying it. But as soon as they got back to the ship with Lister and the cat and, and Crichton and River, uh, it was funny. They actually had gotten back into the swing of the old show. And it was amusing. And I, I laughed. So... Yeah, I'd, I'd give the series an eight. I, and by series, I mean season, because it's a British thing, and they don't call seasons seasons because, you know, they're British. They call them <laughs> They've got to be difficult about everything, don't they? Difficult about every damn little thing. Uh, they call them series. So season 13, I'd give it an eight. I really enjoyed it. You know, it's available on iTunes, I know. Maybe it's available other places. I watched it. It was worth the money I spent on it. I spent like eight bucks on it <laughs> or nine bucks. I spent nine bucks on it. Uh, I bought it. I watched it. I enjoyed it. I don't know what to tell you. It's one of the, I want to talk to the chat here, try to explain red dwarf. 
Jack R is trying to figure this out, cat people. Yeah, Brad, just go with it. You need to understand that this is just a British comedy, and the weird so- story is just an absurd setup for for uh, for the, for the jokes. For mainly for those two guys, uh, Rimmer and Lister, to just torture each other. <laughs> um, and part of the joke is that after three million years, the the character uh, Lister is the only human left alive. He thinks. And he's stuck on this ship, and the only other person there is the guy he most hates. The, like he, the Lister and Rimmer cannot stand each other, and so he's stuck on this ship with with a, a hologram of this old guy, you know, long dead guy who he can't stand it. So there, there goes your sort of stereotypical British setup. And the jokes fly after that. But does that make... I hope that made sense to you. Just go with it. Don't try and think about anything that happens. Nothing that happens is important. Except to set up for jokes. And, you know, they use plot points in different seasons. It's not like they... It's not like they contradict themselves, but... Or maybe they do. Who knows? But what made it enjoyable... DW, what made this uh, this new season enjoyable? At least, is it more like the old seasons, or are the jokes better, or or what? Or, or just in contrast to the last couple of really bad ones? Well, it had jokes, and they were funny. I mean, that's all you can really ask for out of a comedy. <laughs> it's. It's Red Dwarf. It had jokes and they were funny, and I liked the characters. <laughs> I think that's the big part of it. the The characters were a lot of fun and interesting to be around. I I quit pretty much right after they introduced Crichton. I I'm not sure. I don't know why he's a popular character, but yeah, the Rimmer and Lister are outstanding. Oh, and and they give the characters they give the chance to be the characters. They're the cat gets to be the cat and cat around, and Rimmer gets to Rimmer around, and and he is in top form. He just top form Rimmering, and you oh, he really sells that character. You can't beat Rimmer when Rimmer's at the top of Rimmering. I just I I really do wish I had more to say. Uh, <laughs> the cats are there and the cats are okay. They do their job and, you know, they're just background scenery for the other four to do their thing. <laughs> um, it is hilarious though. Lister at one point decides that he has to tell these three cats that, uh, that they have to, you know, give up worshiping him, uh, that they just can't worship him anymore, but he can't tell them. He can't break their hearts. So he sends Crichton back to tell them so he can break their hearts. Well, Crichton can't do it. He gets a heartbroken when they see how excited they are that Rimmer is with them, and he's pulled off two miracles so far. <laughs> um, and so Crichton comes back forward, and so he says, Cat, tell him. And Cat's like, damn straight, I'll tell him. I don't worship you. You're not a god. And he goes back in the cargo room. And they convert the cat. 
convert the cat to Lister worship. So he's back there hammering on the symbol and shaking maracas and singing praises to Lister. <laughs> and so Lister turns to Rimmer and says, Rimmer, you've got to do it. And he says, well, when you need a bastard. So it's pitch perfect crew, you know? Every crew gets to be the crew, and it's fun, and the characters are the characters. And, yeah, it's just like watching Red Dwarf, which is all you need from Red Dwarf. Amen. I think, I think you'd know whether you'd like it or not. So that was my review of Promised Land. It's, it's Red Dwarf. If you like Red Dwarf, this gives you some Red Dwarf to, to enjoy. I was pleasantly surprised that it was good Red Dwarf. Um, it's not great. It's not the it, it, it's not the best Red Dwarf has ever been, but it's an 8 out of 10. That's why I gave it an 8 out of 10. Wow. Well, I'm glad they can still be funny. Um, so last thing I watched this week, Although I technically watched it last Saturday because uh, I was so excited to get a hold of it. Uh, Peninsula, which is the train to Busan 2. Um, okay, everybody who's seen Train to Busan, raise your hands. Not it. I know you told me to watch this too, and I never got around to it. Yeah, Train to Busan uh, is the South Korean zombie movie that everybody went gaga for uh, a couple years ago. Um, and it's about people trying to escape a zombie plague. So they get on a train and they're riding south to Busan, which is the southernmost city in the Korean peninsula. And zombies get on the train and... Uh, as they're trying to escape people, the numbers get whittled down and whittled down and so on and so forth. And it's, it's, it's really, really well done. It's one of those top 10, you know, a plus plus zombie movies for good reason. It's not just like critically adored and fluffed because it does all those things that critics love. It's actually a really good movie. Um, it is a zombie movie, and it's, this is why. I wanted to stop and say this. This is why the picture to this show was a uh, troll. The picture to this show was John trolling you, the audience, because he will, under no circumstances, put a zombie movie on the marquee unless he had absolutely no other choice. <laughs> it's true. So... He, he picked Red Dwarf just because he was absolutely not going to put a zombie movie on it. So let's list the highlights of this movie. One, I enjoyed it a lot. It was good. It was fun. Um, two, um, there's a lot of zombies, and they get zombified. There's a lot of bad guys, and they get dealt with in a fashion appropriate to bad guys. Um 
It's a zombie movie. It's a good zombie movie. It's No Train to Busan. They tried. I mean, the thing about Train to Busan that everybody liked is it's really about a father and his daughter. And, you know, he's busy at work and he hasn't paid much attention to his uh, daughter. And it's her, her, she has a recital with an instrument and he missed it. And he's real sorry because things are busy at work and, and accidentally because of some business things he did, he caused the release of a the toxin at a plant and that's what caused the zombie plague not really his fault but instead of like reacting fast to the spill he sells everything in the plant so it can't be traced back to him and his brokerage business he's a stockbroker so the movie kind of makes it seem like it was his fault even though i don't actually think he had anything really to do with it they're just trying to pile the guilt on and and in order to make her feel better about him missing her recital he buys her a nintendo wii and when he gets home and gives her the wii he looks over in the corner and he's bought her three other wii's that aren't even opened yet so not really father of the year but he saves her from the zombie plague so he redeems himself in the end um and that was really wise, is it not just his story. There are several other stories of passengers on the train that are strongly built and sparsely told that uh, you see play out over the course of this train trip, and they're very well done. They're good storytelling without being maudlin or... Uh, schmaltzy or obvious they're just well done storytelling about these people um and i like it because it is a good story not just a good zombie movie and i think i've reviewed it on the show before at some point that's probably when i told john to go see it. <laughs> <laughs> train to busan tries to do that same thing and comes close but no cigar it's not as good as storytelling in that vein uh as train to busan one and it isn't the storytelling isn't as organic to the movie as it is in train to busan one and so it comes off as more layered on top of the movie rather than being intrinsic to the movie but it's still a great zombie movie, and it still has those elements, even though they don't feel as integral to the movie. Uh, and I've enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Hey, man. I'm glad that zombie movie lovers keep getting more movies that and I don't have to see. Um, in, in the movie, South Korea has been completely overrun. They've got a cordon off uh, coast so nobody can get in and out. Um, and North Korea has managed to establish a border that's kept the zombies from getting out by land. So 
uh, zombies have not overrun the world. They've only overrun South Korea. Uh, and unlike 28 weeks later, zombies don't escape and overrun the planet at the end of the movie, so they don't have a cliched kind of ending that way. That's not a spoiler or anything, because that's not the stakes of the movie. The stakes are a lot more personal. Um, but South Koreans are spread around Southeast Asia um, and even up as far as Japan, and they're not really official refugees. They're just living underground because uh, everybody's afraid of them that they're even they're still carrying the virus and could, there could be an outbreak of the zombie plague at any time. So these South Koreans um, who are not anybody from the first movie, they get told <laughs> and you got to hear this deal. They're told that there are still some people surviving in South Korea and that this criminal gangster from Hong Kong uh, is sending people into South Korea to gather a lot of things that are completely useless to South Koreans, but very, very valuable to people outside of there, like, you know, mounds of dollar bills and gold and jewelry and things. So he sent a team in to collect stacks of cash, but they got wiped out. So he wants them to go in and collect this truck, these four people, four nearly strangers. One of them is a brother-in-law of another. Go in, grab this truck with $20 million in cash in the back, and it is dollars, greenbacks. They'll drive it out to the... Uh, in Sean docks, loaded on a ship, and if they all survive, they'll split $10 million of the $20 million four ways. Now, what's your first thought, John, if you were a player character and you were given that deal? Doesn't sound good to me. <laughs> Do you really think they're going to go through with that deal? Mm, no. That was my first thought, but that's not something that's dealt with through the rest of the movie until the very, very end, so we don't have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> but my first thought as a player character is no way they're going to live up to that deal. <laughs> no way they're going to let me walk away with half of that money. Right. Because um, I'm a suspicious son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, so... These four guys paddle in on an inflatable, uh, I think it's an RHIB um, or an RFIB, sorry. Um, and they try sneaking in through zombie territory to get find this truck, get it, and drive it out of there, and then the rest of the movie happens. Um yeah, I enjoyed the movie. It's a really good zombie movie. It is just not if you're expecting the same kind of emotional, uh, well-integrated storytelling that Train to Busan 1 had. Uh, at least for me, those beats didn't quite land. Uh, although 
you know, they're okay. They're just not as good as the first movie. All right. I'll have to set up a double feature for myself. Maybe I'll wait till October when it's horror movie season. Yeah. Where where can you watch it? Where did I watch it or where can you watch it? Yeah, well, both. Uh, Train to Busan and the animated prequel, uh, which is called Soul Station, are both available on Shudder, the horror movie. Should have known. (laughs) Should have known. Train to Busan 2 is more difficult to find. Okay. Um, I had a heck of a time finding it. Heck of a time. Very well. I will search this heck of a time for it. So. Um, I still haven't yeah. cashed in my seven-day free trial of Shudder. Well, there now you might go. be the time. Uh, I th- I think we're out of stuff to talk about today. What about you? That was everything I had on the line. I should say this, folks. Uh, for next week, hopefully, uh, the new season of The Boys just came out on Amazon yesterday. So I'm hoping to can't. Uh, it's coming out once a week. So in like, you know, two three months, we're hoping to give a review of that when it's over. Um, unless I have to tap out of that one, man. That's how bad Star Trek Lower Decks was. It's the first show I had to tap out of. I've never tapped <laughs> out of a show before, and I've watched some bad shows. I watched all of Star Trek Discovery. And Star Trek Picard. I had never had to get out of quit shows, and I had to quit Star Trek Lower Decks. Well, but, see, that puts you on the road to better self-respect. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Tenet and uh, the New Mutants are both in local theaters. I may be able. I'm hoping to be able to see Tenet. I may be able to see New Mutants. I don't know. Uh, John lives in a state where there are like four open theaters. It's terrible. I have to go all the way down to Lacey, which is an hour and a half drive in no traffic. Uh, so I, I do. I would like to see Tenet. I just have to find a six-hour window where I don't mind being out all day. Um, so if we can get – if at least one of us can see that movie before next Saturday, we're hoping to be able to review it next Saturday. We'll see. Uh, I'm not yeah. promising anything, but that's the hope and a prayer for next week. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's I'm I'm out for today. That's my. I am tapped out empty. myself. Uh, there was a lot of fun. I love hearing about the stuff you tried. I I like it that you're able to try things that I don't like and just tell me about them. I like living vicariously through you. <laughs> you like suffering vicariously. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I wasn't gonna say it. You said it. Um, oh, by the way, Cobra Kai, the uh, Daniel Macchio, uh, Ralph, Ralph, Ralph Macchio. Macchio. 
I'm really done. I'm not even going to comment. Cobra yep. Kai just moved to Netflix for season three. So uh, I only saw season one on YouTube. So I might be able to catch season two and season three on Netflix. Uh, we'll have to I see. Heard, I heard that was good. Uh, I was disappointed at the ending of season one, but I was about the only one who was disappointed. <laughs> um, All right. Well, as for me, just a reminder, if you like memes and or history and uh, and have a high tolerance for, for nonsense, check out Unbiased History on YouTube. I, I It was only a couple hours worth of watching, and it was funny. Do you have okay, anything else to say before we go? Uh, let me add, it's been fun chatting with you. Uh, once again, I like suffering vicariously through you, and it's great <laughs> hanging out with the chat live. Thanks for uh, so thanks for hanging out with us, guys, and uh, everybody who listens live. I hope I hope you go check out this stuff because it's been good. <laughs> I'm done because we forced Daddy Warpig to watch it so you'll be able to enjoy it later. <laughs> <laughs> we step, we strap Daddy Warpig in a chair, Clockwork Orange, Clockwork Orange style. style. <laughs> All right, folks. We're using super cool water for your eye drops. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. We're uh, we're Geek Gab. We do this show about every week about this time. Uh, you can catch us live or you can listen later uh, live on YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. That's YouTube.com slash Geek Gab. Or you can listen later via, I think we have to do SoundCloud first, SoundCloud.com. Uh, or you can uh, subscribe to us via the Google Play Store or the Apple iTunes Store. Listen to us on the device of your choice or listen to us live on the web. Listen to us on the web. If you want to feel that heady feeling of freedom, of not being tied down to a device of the man, of the massive, massive tech monopoly who steals billions of dollars in your personal data, we are leaving you for today, folks. But don't you worry. Don't you fret. We will be back.